the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 617-4233. The following program is sponsored by Grace Church, Dumfries, Virginia. Grace Church, real people, real lives. Grace Church, real lives, real change. Grace Church, real people, real lives, real change. Hello, and welcome to Grace for Today with Dr. Derek Greer. Hear this message and more online at gracechurchva.org. Here's Dr. Greer. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Faith is not denying facts. If you think I said that, I didn't say that. Faith, recognize, here's the facts, but here's the truth. Faith is belief in spite of facts. I know what they say. I know what the facts are, but here's what the Word of God says. Genuine faith is an upstream battle. That's why the Bible calls it the good fight of faith. But how many of y'all fighting? Don't just lay down. When, when, when stuff happens, begin to speak the desired results according to God's Word and watch His Word come to pass. In verse 15, Jesus gets strange here. It almost seems like he's sadistic, masochistic, and um, just doesn't seem right. But you see, when you look at things from a human perspective, sometimes God looks mean. Sometimes he looks angry. Sometimes he looks uncaring. Jesus says, I'm glad. How's Jesus happy about the death of someone he loved? What, 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 what type of God is happy about such an event in somebody's life. It, this, this statement used to trouble me until I learned some things. You see, God is not a man. And he has the full perspective and full picture. You see, if I was God as me, I would be depressed every day, looking at the world and what people are doing, what kids are doing, what adults are doing. Man, I would just, man, I, I, I'd be a mess. You see, God sees, again, the end. From the beginning, he sees everything all at the same time. He doesn't look to the future or look to the past. He sees it all simultaneously. And what God has done is he weighs our present struggle. He says, man, that's real. Oh, I, I know that hurts. And I, I feel with you and I'm for you and I'm going to help you. And, and I, I feel your pain. I sympathize with your pain. But, but I, I've also weighed your present pain. And when I waited against the future benefits, not only did it tip them, I mean, the future benefits were like this. And when I, when I took a look at it, are you hearing what I'm saying? I decided I wanted you to go through this so you can get to that. And it wasn't because I didn't care. It was because I did care. God sees and he knows. And what you're going through is for a moment. What you're feeling is real. But compared to the weight that God wants to bring in your direction, it's a small price. Romans 8 and 18 has helped me 
And I like how the Holy Spirit inspired it. Paul said it this way, for I consider. You see, what I consider doesn't really matter. It's what you consider. You know, what the Bible says doesn't matter until it gets in you. That Bible on your, 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 your dresser, it, it, there's no value there. It, it, it's like, you know, a, a tomato seed. A tomato seed in the bag doesn't feed your family. It's when the seed gets into the soil that it grows and produces something that becomes beneficial. And the Word of God in that Bible does you no good. It's not until it becomes the living Word, until it gets down deep in your heart, comes alive, and begins to bear fruit that it becomes profitable. Paul says here, for I consider, he says elsewhere, I am fully persuaded, neither height nor life nor death. Nothing in all creates can separate me from the love of God. It doesn't matter what other people are persuaded about. What matters is what you persuade about. He said, for I consider. And this is when I get sad. This is when I get depressed. When I stop considering things the way I ought. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy they are not even in the same class. I mean, they don't belong in the same room or the same sentence. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. But you have to make up your mind that this is a momentary affliction. That trouble won't last always. This is temporary. And you will get to the other side. And when it's over, this little pain is not going to compare to the great glory God has worked in your life and in your heart. But you have to make the decision. You have to decide. It was hard to see my wife in pain, particularly with the second baby. He was a big boy. But the comfort was knowing the baby was coming. God sees your, your pain, but the comfort is the blessing that's coming. The comfort is what's on the other side of that pain. So you're not suffering because God doesn't care. He saw it. He knew it. Yes, he could have stopped it, but he waited. He said, when I look at it, baby, just keep on. Just get to the other side. And you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. John 11 and 15. And I am glad. But he goes on to explain that he's not being malicious for your sake. For whose sake? Your sake. Everything Jesus does is for your sake. I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. It appears that Jesus' bodily presence on earth had some drawbacks. People just couldn't die in the presence of life itself or himself. I mean, you die in a room with Jesus, you, you know, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. You just can't do it. So what did Jesus have to do? He had to back away for a couple days. And I know you want to live in the manifest presence of God and just feel him all the time, but sometimes God intensely backs away. Because he has to mature you and develop you and make sure your faith is not just on feeling something, but knowing something and holding on to something and, 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 and based on his word. He needed them to grow. So, you know, you say, well, I'm going through the valley, Bishop. Well, well, well valley is a good place for lilies to grow. 
Gibbs said he's the lily of the valley. He said, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there. Why? That you may believe. You see, Bible faith is not like a lot of faith we preach about. Real Bible faith begins at the level, okay, people, yeah, I'm trying to get healed, I'm trying to get bill paid, I'm trying to get my situation fixed. That's not Bible faith. Bible faith reasons backwards. God first does the greatest miracle he can ever do in our life. By taking out the old man, putting in the new man, resurrecting us on the inside. And then after he does the, the biggest miracle possible, everything else is supposed to pale in comparison. When you realize the magnitude, and I'm, I'm going to try not to get off the point here, of what happened when the Holy Spirit came to dwell in your sinful, wicked life. If you recognize the miracle that was wrought, the weight and the power of it, Everything else is, you know, compared to that, what's, what's a cancer? What's my electric bill? I mean, what's a promotion? What's a job compared to life from the dead? And what he was saying is you haven't really begun to believe until you believe in a God that could take, 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 bring life out of death. True faith is resurrection faith. That even though it kills me, I can get back up again because God is on my side. That's Bible faith. You don't see a lot of it. But I'm praying that in this room, he's going to ignite some of it this week. He said, then Thomas, who's also called the twin, sent his fellow disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. Thomas was brave. And, and there's a lot of Thomas, I mean, I, how many times you say, well, Lord, I'm going to do what you say. I know you're going to kill me, and I, I'm never gonna, but I'm going to do what you say. I'm not going to come out of it, but, but Lord, I'm, I love you, and I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be brave. And this was the situation. What's amazing is God blesses me anyway when, when, I, when I show the courage to, 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 to go with him. But, but like normal, Jesus and his disciples were on a completely different wavelength. Jesus is going to raise the dead. They're going to die. <laughs> no, it's true. And we do all, this is, all of us do that. So when Jesus came, he found that they had, uh, they had already been in the, the, the tomb, tomb four days. Now, you know, I, I've taught on this before, that the rabbis taught that a, a human spirit would stay around the, the, the dead body for about three days before leaving. So what did Jesus do? He waited to make sure no one thought this was some type of resuscitation. He wanted everyone to think, well, he was just in a coma, you know, uh, and Jesus, you know, he just kind of, you know, it just kind of happened when Jesus came back. He, he came back to life. Jesus intentionally did not wait until Lazarus was dead. He waited till he was dead, dead. That's important. In our lives. Some of you say, well, Lord, this situation is dead. It's like, no, not dead enough. <laughs> He's waiting until there's absolutely no possibility. Did any other force, any other being, any other instance, coincidence, besides God himself could be behind you getting back up from that situation? God is intentional like that. And he's trying to build our faith. You say, well, God, why haven't you resurrected me yet? Maybe because you're not dead enough yet. Die, die, and you will live, live.
Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews, these were the Jerusalem Jews, the who's who of Israel. And it's this, this miracle is intentional because these are the most, you know, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Lazarus, by the way, was a, a well-off individual. He had all these connections, and, and the most powerful, prominent folks witnessed this particular miracle. And they all came out, and they had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, what did she do? In, in Martha fashion, she went to meet him. Martha's a woman of action. We looked at her. One was working. Uh, Mary's working. She was sitting at, uh, Martha was working. She, you know what I'm, you, you know the narrative. All right. But Mary, on the other hand, she was sitting in the house. Now, Mary's a little more contemplative. She's a thinker, real analytical. And uh, she was sitting there trying to figure things out. She's like, now, I thought Jesus said that, uh, you know, uh, my brother wasn't going to die. I thought she said it was not going to end in, in death. Is he the Messiah? Okay, I guess maybe he's not the Messiah the way I thought. Okay, maybe he's the Messiah, but maybe he's just a man. And, and I guess, you know, humans do make mistakes. And, and, and I guess that the master made some mistake. Verse 21, Martha reaches Jesus and says the things that both girls have been saying to each other. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, she's essentially saying that the master is responsible for Jesus, uh, for, for, for uh, Jairus' death, that somehow this is God's fault, this is Jesus' fault. Ever blame God for the stuff the devil does in your life? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they did. If you were here, I trusted you. I believed you loved me. This is what I get. If you were here, if you really cared, this would not have happened. They're blaming God. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will still give you. Basically, she's saying, Jesus, even though you messed up, ever feel like God messed up? God gave you a word, and then you get to the place where it's like, that word has not come to pass. But the, the issue is you in the middle acting like it's the end. She's like, okay, Jesus, even though you messed up, you know, you're pretty good. You're a pretty good guy. I mean, you're a good guy, but uh, I'm sure the Lord's going to give you a pass, and he'll hear you, you know, the next time. And that's kind of her conversation with the master. So Jesus looks at her, and he said to her, I don't need your forgiveness. I put my word on this circumstance a few days ago, and it still stands. And then Jesus just digs in. Your brother will rise again. You didn't mishear me the first time. You got it. You heard it. And Martha said to him, her her wheels are turning. Okay, he must mean it this way. She's trying to allegorize everything. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, her doctrine was dead on, but her faith was way off. And your doctrine may be right, but if you can't believe God in the midst of your living workaday situation, I question your doctrine. Jesus said to her, I am. I'm not, I'm not a should have been. I'm not a want to be, going to be. I am. Stop putting everything off for heaven. Stop it. Heaven's going to be glorious, but God got some glory on this side. It says here, not I'm going to be 
I am the resurrection. Definite article, not a form, but the resurrection. I'm not just a way out. I am the way out in your life. And the girls, the heads are spinning a little bit. Let me repeat one more time. In the Greek, he says, I am the Anastasis. The Anastasis, which literally means the standing up. What he was saying to these girls is no matter how thoroughly life has beat you down, I don't care how long life has had you down, I am the getting up in every situation that you come across. I am the resurrection and the life. Many of us settle for existing, but don't settle for a heartbeat. Don't settle for just surviving. When Jesus came that we could live, he said, girls, you know, you know may- maybe you forgot. Maybe this familiarity, you forgot who I am. But I'm more than just a man. You see, in your life, you say you love God and you believe God. But you've given up as if, as a person that don't even know God. Do you worship? Did we have a worship service to the resurrection and the life? And if he inhabits the praises of his people, when we lifted hands, he needed to reach his arm down and show up in each of our lives. We are not worshiping a theoretical, theological construct alone. We are worshiping a God that could pull life even out of death. Then he continues. He said, he who believes in me, I'm going to make sure they don't die. That's not what he said. He said, if you believe in me, you won't face problems. He didn't say that. He who believes in me, though he may die. Those situations may come. He shall live. Maybe some things died in your life. Maybe some things have gone wrong in your life. And maybe you're saying, well, Lord, if you love me, you would have prevented it. But Jesus says this. He says, if you believe in me, though you experience that death, you shall live. Bible faith is resurrection faith. Bible faith, you know, Jesus, this resurrection is really what the master say. I play the boards. You take a shot and miss, I will get you to rebound and get you another chance to take the shot again. I will get it back to you and get you a chance to get it back up again. I am the resurrection. And yes, we missed some shots. Yes, we've taken some hits and taken some shots. But he says, I am the getting back up again. Are you going to stay stuck blaming God for what happened? Or are you going to start believing God that he can get you up? The choice is yours. Where is your faith going to be? In the permanence of the evil? Or in the power of the loving God who has capacity to do more than you could ask or think? What you went through, God weighed carefully, lovingly. And he said it's worth it. And if you believe God, you too have to say, this is going to be 
worth it. Verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, this Lazarus, said to him, Lord, by this time, in other words, it's too late to fix this, Jesus. I mean, am I the only one that deals with sometimes too late? Lord, if, if you were ever going to do it, you would have done it by now. It's just too late. But God doesn't have on a human watch. Lord, by this time, there is a stench. This situation smells too bad. You got any stinky things in your past that you just say, you know what, Lord, you might be able to fix this, you might be able to fix that, but you can't fix it. That smells too bad. Too bad. Verse 43, let's see Jesus' attitude toward our stink and, and toward too late and too bad. Scripture says, he cried with a loud voice, meaning Jesus got passionate about this. Jesus is passionate about this point in your life, bringing back life from the dead. He's passionate about it. He said, Lazarus, it's only one name he used. Why? Because this was a custom fit miracle. A miracle with only Lazarus's name on it. And as we enter this next week, as we go before God, I want you to realize there is a miracle with only your name on it. God knows exactly what you need, exactly what's broken, exactly what, what needs to be fixed. But God wants to personalize it. And call you by name and and fix that thing that's personal, specific to you. He got passionate. And God is passionately calling your name the thing you need in your life to get you out of your tomb into the bright sun again. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, you're going to live again. You will not stay where you are. Lazarus was locked behind a stone. Even if he got better, there was no way out. It was dark in there. There was no air in there. The the, the situation was calculated for defeat. But why did God have all the major Jews there? Because he wanted to use it for his glory. When your circumstances become impossible, and you are absolutely hemmed in. I mean, you got a two-ton rock at the door, and even if you got free, you couldn't get out. You die from suffocation and starvation anyway. I mean, there's no hope, in, and you're lying there dead, wrapped up. He was wrapped in dead man's clothes. There was no hope. But in the midst of that, Jesus called his name. And I don't know what dark room you're in. I don't know what big old heavy stone is blocking you. I don't know how much decay has set into your life. But I am telling when he calls your name, your time has come. And I'm telling you this week, God has a word with your name on it. And he's saying, come out of where you've been. And come once again. I'm giving you a chance. I'm going to let you. I'm going to give you a do-over. I know it killed you last time. But I'm going to pull you out of that death and I'm going to let you do it over again. And Lazarus came out. The power of God actually picked him up, brought him to the, the tomb. 
And God gave him a chance to live again. He's the same God. Don't let God just live in a book. This week, as you go before him, saying, I want the God of the book in my life. Lord, what you've done for others, do for me. Lord, I am trapped, and it, it is hopeless in here, but I believe you love me. And I believe there's a miracle with my name on it, Lord, and, and I'm listening for your voice. And Lord, just bid me to come, and I'm coming out of everything that I've been in. Who in this room, you don't need a preacher. You don't need another church. You don't need another translation of the Bible. You need God. You need him to come out of the book, come out of the sky, come out of the clouds, and come into your situation. Who in here, right now you're in the graveyard of life, having hopeless conversations, locked in, surrounded by death, feeling like you failed and you, 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 your life is over. My message to you today is, Jesus calling you by name. He's saying, come out of your cemetery. Come out of your grave. Come out of your hopelessness. Come out of your death. I'm calling you into life. We hope you were encouraged by today's teaching. You can get your copy of this teaching on our website at gracechurchva.org. That's gracechurchva.org. Subscribe to our website to learn more about Grace Church, and you can get directions, free downloads, and more. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Grace Church VA. That's Grace Church VA. We invite you to worship with us here at Grace Church on Sunday or Wednesday. We are just minutes from Potomac Mills and Quantico Marine Base. We look forward to seeing you here at Grace, where we are real people with real lives experiencing real change. That's our time for today. Thank you to the partners of Grace for Today and the Ministry Minute. Your loving contributions and commitment help us continue to stay on the air and reach people all around the world. And together, we are making a difference. Join us in the Word again tomorrow, here on Grace for Today. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.